Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. When people talk about bluegrass music, they'll usually talk about how great the banjo player is or the mandolin player or the guitar player, but nobody ever talks about the bass player. What they don't realize is that the bass player is the glue that holds everything together. He may be the most important member of the band. That's a big role to fill. And if you're not feeling up to the task, the Bluegrass Bass Complete Learning System will get you there. Everything you need in one place to make sure your band doesn't fall apart. Click the link in the show notes to get the full details and take 20% off. Act quick though, this offer won't be around forever. Howdy folks, howdy and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. I have missed you guys. I've been uh, a little slack here lately, had a bunch of things going on, and I've been working on this rather complex episode that we're going to hear today, and it's taken a little longer to put it together than the usual uh, simple diatribe or sermon that I give where I'm just flying solo and I turn the mic on and start talking. Those aren't too difficult to put together, but this kind of thing where I include uh, samples of music to illustrate various points are far more complex and it's taken a little longer. Plus I've been busy in the garden. I just uh, give you a quick update on that. I have planted my potatoes and my, uh, let's see, onions and garlic. They're in the ground. We've actually got garlic already up. So things are looking good in the garden and, uh, had a little picking here last Saturday and it, you know, it was funny. We sat around, uh, a banjo player, fiddle player, guitar player, and myself. I played bass most of the most of the session and played a little bit of dobro. But uh, we played for maybe an hour, just playing all sorts of tunes and stuff. And then we hit one tune, and two of the four guys almost simultaneously said at the same time, that's the first bluegrass song we've played all night. And man, you know, it sounded good. Now, I will admit I was one of those two people because after an hour of Texas fiddle tunes and old-time claw hammer stuff, and I I love all that stuff. I I dearly love all that stuff, but, you know, I'm still kind of itching for an actual bluegrass song. So that was um, apropos, as they say, to the topic for today because I want to talk about that oft discussed uh, topic that is what exactly is the definition of bluegrass and I'm gonna talk a little bit about what bluegrass is but really that's not what I'm going to uh, spend the majority of the episode on and I'll get to that in a minute but we've all heard somebody say yeah that was, that was a great song but you know that ain't bluegrass. And it's usually the diehard traditional bluegrass fan or musician who makes a comment like that. Yeah, that's really cool, but that ain't bluegrass. And I, I am prone to say that sort of thing. I'm, I'm sort of a stickler for the word bluegrass. And some people, you know, have this attitude that, you know, styles just divide us and things. Well, they're, there's some truth to that, but people are going to divide anyway. They're going to play the kind of music they want to play, and they're going to listen to the kind of music that they want to listen to, regardless of what you call it. I like the idea of, you know, like if I throw down on a table a, a bulb of garlic, 
and then I throw down a similar sized onion bulb. Well, one of them is an onion, and one of them is garlic, okay? It's to call the onion garlic is unfair to the onion and confusing. You get what I'm saying? You know, this is how we organize our thoughts and categorize categorizing things in the world is a good thing, I think, for to help understanding. Because if I say onion, you know what I'm talking about. If I say garlic, I mean garlic. So to just be one of these people who says, well, bluegrass, if it has one of the 10 qualities of bluegrass, I'm going to call it bluegrass and tough, tough luck. You know, you don't like that? I'm calling it bluegrass. Well, I just think it's better to define it um, a little more. Finally, it's not that hard to do either. Um, but again, as I say, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about what bluegrass is, but I will say this. I think there are two ways to think about defining bluegrass, bluegrass music. And the first thing is that I think bluegrass is primarily a style. It's a style. And it is an acoustic style. Now, again, I'm, I don't want to say that just because you plugged in or you had an electric bass that you're violating everything about bluegrass because there are gray area around the edges, certainly with things like electric bass or appropriately played snare drum with brushes. We've heard that on old classic bluegrass records. Um, but you can, if you're playing around the edges, it's, in other words, the definition is a little bit flexible. But if you go too far outside the reaches of what is commonly thought of as a bluegrass ensemble, then it's stretching it to call it bluegrass. And the same would be true for, you know, if I was looking at sweet potatoes and various varieties of uh, white potatoes, red potatoes, you know, there's all kinds of varieties, but you could definitely say, well, sweet potatoes are different than these other potatoes over here. You follow me? So the first thing is I think bluegrass is a style and it is generally speaking, primarily acoustic, acoustic guitar, not electric guitar, upright bass, not electric bass, but you could play electric bass if you kind of played in the style of the acoustic bass. Um, if you're plugging in, Generally in bluegrass, everybody is attempting to get a very acoustic sound. They're just simply using the plugging in as amplification. If you get too far out with your effects pedals and all that kind of stuff, you're beginning to stretch the boundaries. And if you go too far outside of that, then you're no longer inside what I would call bluegrass. Then there is the, the rhythm of it. And that's really important. Now, it's not the single defining thing that determines whether something is bluegrass or not, but you could take a bluegrass ensemble, all acoustic, typical instrumentation, and play all sorts of non-bluegrassy rhythms. You could play reggae, you know. I mean, go listen to some new grass revival stuff, some old new grass revival. Some of that stuff is, it's hard to call it bluegrass, you know. Um, but 
they could turn right around and play a bluegrass style song and it would be bluegrass because their instrumentation fit the bill and the style the rhythmic style matched what is essentially bluegrass and then you can add in the vocal styles you could take uh, the uh, the model bluegrass instrumentation and play the typical bluegrass rhythm styling which also means arrangement it means like how exactly does that guitar player play and interact with the mandolin player interacting with the banjo and what does the fiddle typically do and so on and so on if you're doing those things you're going to be playing in a bluegrass style but if you put on top of that some sort of vocal uh style that didn't match the typical bluegrass definitions you might say then you could say well that's uh you know i don't know about that i mean I, i'm just trying to picture like uh james brown singing little cabin home on the hill and him singing it in his typical style you know what i'm saying or perhaps the uh mormon tabernacle choir singing crying holy backed up by a bluegrass band i mean you know that'd be a stretch stylistically to you know have like a 95 uh, voice choir singing is is not the typical bluegrass style so i think you know there are models for this stanley brothers flatten scruggs bill monroe and the bluegrass boys and so on that's kind of the core model of instrumentation vocal stylings and the acoustic nature of it so all i'm saying about style is what I didn't, I didn't talk about what are the themes of the songs and is it about an old cabin, you know, or a little whitewashed chimney or, you know, a barefoot girl in a polka dot dress. It's, you don't have to write bluegrass songs. Bluegrass songs don't have to have the themes of 1940 or 1950. They don't have to. Uh, you could take a Fats Domino song and play it as a proper bluegrass song. I mean, you could call it That's Bluegrass Now. It, yeah, it was a Fats Domino song. It was, but now we bluegrassed all over it and we made it bluegrass. We played it in the bluegrass style. So that's what I'm talking about. That's, to me, the bluegrass style. It's acoustic. It's a select group of instruments with a little tiny bit of flexibility there. It's certain types of rhythms and arrangement of how the instruments interact and it's vocal styling. The other way you can think about bluegrass is something that I would call a bluegrass song. That's a bluegrass song. And to me, that is any song played in the bluegrass style by a bluegrass band. So that's like the Fats Domino thing I just talked about. You could call that a bluegrass song at that moment. But another way to think of bluegrass songs is any song popularized or, you know, written and popularized by a bluegrass band in the bluegrass style would then, a lot of people will then just call that a bluegrass song. A perfect example is Foggy Mountain Breakdown. But we've all heard countless versions of Foggy Mountain Breakdown. Like if you saw Earl playing it on The Tonight Show you know, with uh, saxophones and piano players and all this, you know what I mean? People will st still say that's a bluegrass song 
because it's so strongly associated with bluegrass. So you can get away with that. Say, you know, this is a bluegrass song, but if you wanted to be technical about it, I think you would have to put an asterisk or a subtitle and say, this is a bluegrass song, which means popularized and originally done or primarily done by bluegrass bands in the bluegrass style. However, we're going to do it in this modified style with a big band or something, you know. So that's basically it. But you can see how complex this can get trying to describe um, what is bluegrass. So I thought what I would do in this episode is talk, talk about what is not bluegrass. It's so much easier. Although, you know, sometimes like when you get in those gray areas, it becomes a tad difficult. But um, I noticed this when I was starting out in bluegrass shopping for records, you know, like in one particular case, and this will be the first example that I'm going to play for you. And by the way, I'm claiming uh, fair use on the, the copyright for educational and commentary purposes for every cut that you will hear today. Uh, but when I, when I first started out, one of the first records I got was, I don't remember the title of the album, but it was a Dillard's record. Classic bluegrass, bluegrass band, although they didn't have a fiddle player. Um, but it was bluegrass. You could definitely call it bluegrass. They were playing bluegrass style, singing bluegrass style, and doing songs that we now think of as bluegrass things, such as Old Home Place. We'd call that a bluegrass song now. I mean, if you went out and heard Dave Matthews play, or let's use Fish as an example, because they actually do play it. If they played Old Home Place on stage, they might say this is a bluegrass song, but they may, may not actually play it in a bluegrass style. Although Fish did, uh, they would come out and open shows as a bluegrass band, and they would play in the bluegrass style. Uh, but anyway, as starting out, you know, I would see Doug Dillard, banjo, you know, I'm like, okay. So this guy is a bluegrass banjo player. Then I would buy another album and uh, then I'd play it. And I'm like, I don't know. This, this, this is, it's got some good banjo playing, but this, this is not bluegrass. It's not bluegrass. So here's a, here's a perfect example of that from my record collection. Everything you're hearing today is vinyl and a little note on the, uh, just how I record these. This podcast is in mono. And uh, the, you might say, to, to be not too technical about it, it is um, compressed somewhat, so it's not full audio quality like you would get, let's say, if you played a CD. Um, it's, it's crunched down a little bit, so it's mono and it's crunched down. So if you want to hear the full glory of these, these tracks that I'm sampling, go get the real thing. You know, go buy the album. Get a, get a CD of it, get it in stereo, and uh, not compressed as an MP3 file. Uh, but So that's, that's how I record these, and these all were done on my turntable. Uh, but this first one is, uh, you're going to hear Doug Dillard. And uh, it's, it's an album called Dillard and Clark, Through the Morning, Through the Night. Uh, it was on A&M Records, SP4203, if you want to go buy it. And I want to say this right at the outset. 90% of the songs that I'm going to play for you today, I really like. 
Some of them are blue. I'm sorry, can't even say bluegrass. How am I going to define it if I can't say it? Some of them are bluegrass and some of them are not, but I actually like all the music that I'm playing for you. So remember, you know, I'm a closet pedal steel guy and uh, I love the lap steel and etc. I like more kinds of music than just bluegrass. But we're just talking about what is or what is not bluegrass. So this first one is Dillard and Clark. That's Doug Dillard on a banjo. I won't go through the whole uh, list of players on this one. And uh, this is a little song called Kansas. Let's see. Let me look down there. It's called Kansas City Southern. So that's pretty cool. I mean, but it proves a point that simply putting a banjo into a band doesn't make it bluegrass. To me, I'll get out my, I have two rubber stamps here. One says bluegrass and the other one says not bluegrass. And I'm going to stamp that one, not bluegrass. And I'll tell you why. The primary reason is if you listen to the timing of it, it's primarily in 4-4 time. It's a four beat type of song. Uh, and the instrumentation is just too far out to really call it bluegrass. And I can't even call it a bluegrass song because it's not an established bluegrass song, you know, like Foggy Mountain Breakdown. So there's really no excuse for calling this bluegrass. And uh, by the way, the record itself doesn't anywhere on it say that it's bluegrass. So it was just simply a mistake of me early on to, you know, see Doug Dillard playing banjo and think, well, it must be bluegrass, but no, it's not. And now for contrast, so that uh, I can give you an example of something that truly, without a doubt, is bluegrass. Let's listen to this one. I'll tell you, tell you who it is after you listen to it. This, folks is one example of bluegrass.
for those of you who did not know who that was, that, of course, was Bill Monroe. That is from the DECA album, DL75348, entitled Bill Monroe's Uncle Pen. And the tune, if you're interested, is called the Lee Wedding Tune. That, of course, this is a great configuration of Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. Kenny Baker fiddle, Bill Yates bass, James Monroe guitar, that's Bill's son. Very good, solid guitar playing there. Uh, Bobby Thompson on banjo. Bill Monroe mandolin. What, what, what more do you need? That, folks, I stamp bluegrass. Boom. All right, now let's look at another one. This is, uh, this is another way you can get fooled, kind of like the Doug Dillard thing. I want to list off who's on this next example. Byron Burline fiddle. Jack Skinner guitar. Dan Crary guitar. John Hickman banjo. Let me stop right there. And let's hear this song by Byron Berline's band, Sundance. And it's a song called Best Friends. It's, it's a good song and good arrangement. It's a good song. Let's listen to a little bit of Best Friends from Byron Berline's band, Sundance. think back to the things we did when we were younger two boys on a railroad trestle running like hell when we heard the whistle blow it was yesterday but it seemed so long ago best friends we were the best friends Now, finish out the instrumentation list. We had Alan Wald on electric guitar and steel, great playing, and Dallas Taylor on drums. Now, that, that song there is, in terms of instrumentation, is a true hybrid. You've got acoustic guitar, you've got Byron Berline actually playing some mandolin too, and fiddle, and you got John Hickman banjo, but then you layer over that the drums, electric guitar, steel electric bass and uh, you're you're stretching the boundaries pretty far uh, far away it's a really good song but uh, you know it breaks too many rules call that one not bluegrass all right let's go to the next example here this one is one of the strangest albums i've i own and i probably mentioned it before there is in if you go to butch robbins uh, book, What I Know About What I Know. 
he talks about this. He played on this session, and he, he writes about it in his book. He talks about this session. It's one of the strangest records. It's a Hank Dean-produced record, D-E-A-N-E. He produced this thing, and his idea of how to, how to put together a record was um, kind of unique in a way, certainly unique in the bluegrass world, and that is you get a bunch of great musicians together, and you put them in the studio, and you hit record and tell them to play something. Yeah, they had no instruction for what to play, what songs, what tempos, what keys, nothing, nothing. Just play. You know, you guys are musicians. Play something. And let me tell you who's on it. And it's, it's also a very weird album because it doesn't actually have a title. It's uh, It was distributed by Flying Fish, but the number is HD5701. And the title, the incredibly long title is Norman Blake slash Tut Taylor slash Sam Bush slash Butch Robbins slash Vassar Clements slash Dave Holland, slash Jethro Burns. Ugh. I mean, it's weird. And very strange album. But you would think, I mean, you got Norman Blake, Butch Robbins, Sam Bush, Tut Taylor, Vassar Clements, I mean, Jethro Burns, you, man, you could play some bluegrass. But they really didn't. I mean, there was a couple on there that you might say was bluegrass, but I want to play one. Definitely not bluegrass, but still, I love it. I just love this thing, and hardly any of the group is playing on here. It's primarily Clements, and uh, very, very interesting for you mandolin players. You're going to hear some hot jazz guitar sounds played by Jethro Burns. So this is Jethro playing guitar, and uh, Vassar fiddling away on a song that's not a bluegrass song, and they're definitely not doing it in the bluegrass style, so I'm going to pre-warn uh, you that I'm rating this one. Not bluegrass, but really cool. And they're playing A-Train.
Now here's a little example. This is uh, um, off a of John Hartford record, the record Mark Twang. And you know, the thing about Hartford, for many years he played solo. If you went to see him, he was just up there by himself and he might play banjo or he might play fiddle or he might play guitar and he would sing. And that just right there immediately disqualified him as being bluegrass. However, he played many bluegrass festivals and certainly loved by the bluegrass audience. And he certainly was capable of playing bluegrass and did put out bluegrass style records. But this particular record it's uh, it's called Mark Twang, and there is a song on there written by Bill Monroe, so it's a bluegrass song, but he does it solo. In fact, he does it so solo, he doesn't even play it. He simply sings it, and this thing always cracked me up. So this is John Hartford doing Little Cabin Home on the Hill. To now, why, 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 So I think that proves that just because Bill Monroe wrote it doesn't make it bluegrass. At least this cut of it is certainly not bluegrass, but you could say it's a bluegrass song but it's definitely not the bluegrass style. Uh, that's on Flying Fish number 20. If you want to go pick that album up, I, I suggest that you run out and find all of these records, by the way. Anyway, John would not get his feelings hurt when I stamped that one. Not bluegrass, even though it was written by Bill Monroe. Not bluegrass. Here's another example. Um, song done by the master, written by the master, recorded by the master, Bill Monroe. And uh, this is recorded by one of the primary disciples of the, what you might call the second generation of bluegrass, Ricky Skaggs. So we're already clicking off a few things that add points. Um, this is off the album, Don't Cheat in Our Hometown. It's a CBS record came out in 1983. It's number 38954. And uh, I'll tell you, Skaggs came very, very close to violating many of the rules of instrumentation. Well, most of the rules. Well, some of the rules of instrumentation, but still keeping it very, very close so I want you to listen to this, and then I'll say a few more words about it. This one is uh, 
it's a it's hard to decide which rubber stamp to pick up just listen to this thing i'm, I'm just going to play a part of it um unless i get to enjoying it too much i may let the whole thing roll but listen to this by ricky skaggs on the don't cheat in our hometown cbs album and here it is uncle pen <laughs> instrumentation shaves off a few points but then it's made up for by the great playing and these players are playing in the bluegrass rhythmic style that's one thing in this particular example skaggs and the band are nailing the bluegrass rhythmic style and the bluegrass vocal styling and sort of the attitude of how to arrange a bluegrass song of taking solos and you know verse chorus stuff um spreading the, sh the spotlight around to different players and so on so i'll tell you what if any kind of outside the box arrangement or band could this one's a hard one is all i'm saying it's very it would be very easy for me to say i'm gonna take off a few points for this or that but i'm still gonna call it bluegrass because he's nailing most of what constitute, constitutes bluegrass. It's a tough one, but in truth, you put all them electric, <laughs> electric instruments in there, it ain't bluegrass, but dang, that's a close one. 
Let's go to another one that is not so close. And again, this is that kind of thing where let's take greatest bluegrass guitar player in the world, Tony Rice. Let's take fiddle player, played with Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys, Richard Green. Let's take Todd Phillips, who you heard on all the Bluegrass album band records. Let's take Sam Bush. You don't need to question his ability to play Bluegrass. Let's take those four guys, set them down in the studio, and play this. Here we go. This is called Mar West. That is super cool. Super, super cool. That is the tune Mar West from the Tony Rice album called Mar West, which is Rounder 125. Got to have it. You know, and this is one of the things where they're they're keeping many of the rules of bluegrass. All acoustic. The players certainly have their bluegrass credentials. But when you get to style and rhythm... And things like that, it, it, it is far, far away from what you would classify as bluegrass. So, sorry boys, that's great music and I love it. But that ain't bluegrass. Not bluegrass. Alright, let's, uh, let's use an example here. Um, another, I'll give you a couple of examples. There, there's a, a misconception in the non-bluegrass public that 
if you stick a banjo in there, it must be bluegrass. I talked about the Bela Fleck thing and me writing a letter to the editor of the Atlanta Journal um, saying, hey, you know, just because you got a banjo doesn't make it bluegrass. So here's a, here's a good example. I'm just going to play a, a bit of it. This thing is a song written by a banjo player who sometimes played bluegrass, oftentimes did not. And then he wrote a great song that uh, paid a lot of his bills for many, many, many years. And it got cut by everybody. And uh, he's playing banjo on this, on this session. But as you can clearly hear, this ain't bluegrass. It's knowing that your door is always open and your path is free to walk. That makes me tend to leave my sleeping bag rolled up and stashed behind your couch. And it's knowing I'm not shackled by forgotten words and bonds And the ink stains that are dried upon some line That keeps you in the back roads by the rivers of my memory It keeps you ever gentle on my mind It's not clinging to the rocks and ivy planted on their columns now that bind me or something that somebody said because they thought we fit together walking. Alright, so I think that makes my point that simply that sticking a banjo in there doesn't make it bluegrass. That, by the way, is capital ST2809, Gentle on My Mind, written by John Hartford and, of course, sung by the great Glenn Campbell. Here's another example. This is going to be the last one for today. I, I could have I could have pulled up a whole bunch of things. I thought about pulling out some old time records and comparing old time to bluegrass. Well, maybe I'll do that some other time. But it, it gets rather tedious looking for the perfect cut to make your point and then recording the samples and all the editing time, which is, since I'm speaking to you now, obviously I still have to edit this thing. But when you're listening to it, I am finished and have my feet up on the desk. Um, anyway, here's another example of, of perfect proof that simply adding a banjo player to a record doesn't make it bluegrass, even if he happens to be the guy, the number one guy who established the essentially the banjo sound that is completely 100% associated with bluegrass. That, of course, is Earl Scruggs. But I have to take away points on this because it is Earl, and it is Earl playing the banjo. And man, does he pull the tone out of this banjo. If you just want to hear the tone of Earl's banjo, you're going to get a full dose of it here, especially if you go get the, the real record and listen to it at, at full fidelity, high fidelity in full color. And it's Earl. Man, but it's not a bluegrass band. It's uh, not a bluegrass song, but it's, it's really cool. It's, it's beautiful music and really nice uh, string arrangement. But 
Listen to this, Bridge Over Troubled Waters. I'm just going to play a part of it by Earl Scruggs. Isn't that some great banjo tone when you listen to him do those little slides and he's just, he's just masterful when it comes to tone, even at high speed, he always pulled the tone right out of that thing. And a lot of people of course thought, well, it's that banjo, but I'm one of those that think, no, it was just Earl. Anyway, that album is called Nashville's rock, which of course that wouldn't be considered a rock cut. Maybe you could call it a rock song because maybe it was done by people who played now. But anyway, it's funny. The album is called Nashville's Rock, but it's not really a rock thing either. There's some kind of rock songs on there, I guess you might say. But I got to thinking about that and maybe what they meant when they titled the album Earl Scruggs' Nashville Rock. Maybe he's the rock. Maybe that's what they're saying. Nashville's rock is Earl Scruggs. In other words, metaphor. Maybe, maybe that's it. Anyway, folks, I hope you enjoyed this little um, trip through my record collection. Again, sorry for rattling the papers. And uh, I hope you uh, are able to now define bluegrass a little better. And uh, anyway, it, if nothing else, it's fun. It's something fun to talk about to go well at. I think, you know, I'd call that bluegrass. I wouldn't call that bluegrass, you know. Anyway, hopefully it was an enjoyable thing. And you might have heard some music that you haven't heard before. And you want to go scope out the full albums and listen to the full songs and the whole thing on some of these uh, forgotten albums, you might say. Anyway, thanks for listening. And thanks for all the people who occasionally come and visit over at BradleyLaird.com to scope out all of my instructional material that I offer there both free and paid. There's a lot of free stuff on there. And as always, I want to thank the patrons of the show who support this little podcast effort with their little monthly recurring uh, donations to the cause. And it really helps a lot. So all you patrons over there at, let's see, what's the thing? I guess you would go to 
patreon.com slash Bradley Laird. And there's freebies over there for the patrons too. So if, if you want to chip in a little something into the old tip jar, uh, you can just go over there and sign up and then download some of those freebies too. So anyway, thank you patrons and thank you visitors to bradleylaird.com. Anyway, y'all have a great week. I'm going to go out with a song since we listened to so many examples that I stamped not bluegrass. I just decided to pick one out that definitely is bluegrass. Here are the Johnson Mountain Boys off the album Working Close. It's rounder number 185. And uh, it's just a great bluegrass song. This They got it all. They meet all the check boxes. So here's some bluegrass to kind of clear your ears out. Yeah.